the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, first of all, how about last week? We had a, had a fill-in from my friend Ryan Height, Communications Director for the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. He is great. Uh, I feel a little bit like uh, Wally Pip. Wally Pip, look it up. Wally Pip, he played first base for the New York Yankees. Unfortunately, one day he took the day off and Lou Gehrig filled in and then never got his job back. Oh, Wally Pip took uh, Lou Gehrig, I don't know, 13 years before he missed a game again. Um, anyway, uh, but I'm, I don't think so. I'm back in the saddle, so I'm not. Uh, I'm not Wally Pipped. Haven't been Wally. I haven't been Lou Gehrig by Ryan Height. But thank you to Ryan Height. Did a great job. Uh, w- millions of things are going on. I mean, millions of things. I'm, I, in a few moments, I will give you an update on my meeting with uh, President Donald Trump last week. I was out in. Uh, I was down in Mar-a-Lago in uh, Florida and met with uh, President Trump. Extraordinary meeting. Extraordinary. Just unbelievable. Uh, we could talk about his uh, trip to Waco, Texas, which was also extraordinary. He gave a great speech out there. Lots of policy. Uh, meet in that um, in that uh, um, speech uh, two almost two hours I think it was he was on a roll out in Waco Texas on Saturday all that is not what you need to know even though those are fun things what you need to know today is we are watching a dramatic shift in preferences uh, well uh, let me let me pause let me pause and see if I can say this the way that I think it's most valuable uh, in the past, I, I think I've told this story many times. I was once running for office. I ran for office in, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, my hometown. And, um, so there I was and I was running for office and an old time gentleman came up to me and I was running for Congress. And the district I was in was the district that, um, had been occupied for a generation or so by Dick Gephardt, famous, uh, Dick Gephardt. And so this old timer came up to me and he said, you know, in the seventies and eighties, that was a little bit before Dick Kephart's time. And he started, he took office in the eighties and all through the nineties, he said, I never knew how, uh, the congressman voted until about two weeks later, because then I could get the congressional record. And he said, I would wait and get that. He said, now it was 2010 at the time. He said, I can see how my congressman votes in real time. And he said, and then I can complain in real time. Here's my point. What you need to know is, Everybody sees everything much faster, much quicker than ever before. And so you don't get away away with things that you used to do. I'm not completely sure that this is a good thing, but it is the thing. It is the reality. In other words, it might be better if it wasn't so easy to scrutinize every aspect of everything that's happening. It might be easier, but it's not the way it is. And so when I tell you this next story, you know, we're watching the grand jury in the Trump uh, possible uh, New York, Manhattan, New York City DA uh, situation They're They're supposed to be getting together again this week. And we don't really know what's happening. There's supposed to be sources inside that know what's happening. We don't know anything except we know everything. You see what I mean? We don't know anything. We know everything until we know it. Here's the one I want to tell you about. And again, I'm not saying that this is not um, somehow it's very different to be able to do, do this. But I spoke earlier today with a friend of mine who is the coroner 
the coroner of a county, a rural county in Pennsylvania. And Doc, I'll just call him Doc. I didn't ask to use his name. I don't want to use his county yet. I might talk to him, though, and talk, and maybe I'll talk about this by, by name and county. But he's an old friend of mine. And so I called up Doc, and I said, how's it going? He said, good. And he's a rural county, rural county up in uh, Pennsylvania. And I knew he's a he's actually a doctor, a physician. He's not a uh, a coroner by training. He's a coroner by election. And his day job is as a cancer doctor. So I called him. I said, "How's it going, Doc?" He said, "Good." I said, "How's your, you know, your your main practice good?" And I said, "What's going on with being coroner?" He said, "Well, I'm running for re-election next fall." And he said, "I said, you know, I said, I, he said, I, f- I find it to be a great, great public service." And I said, "Can you remind me how many deaths in your rural county you will have each year from uh, fentanyl?" And he said, "Well, it's about a hundred, about a hundred in a county of, I think it's less than." I think it's less than a, I think it's less than a hundred thousand people in the county and he'll have a hundred deaths from fentanyl. Then he qualified it. He said, sometimes it's a hodgepodge. There'll be some meth in there too. But, but he said it's a dramatic increase in drug deaths, overdose. And he said it's, it's almost all fentanyl. And then he told me the story that he's told me before, or he's told me his approach, not the story. There are, there are a hundred stories a year, but the, his approach. He said, whenever I get one of these fentanyl deaths, these overdose deaths, he said, I bring in the family and I ask the family about the deceased because I want to rule out suicide. And he said, and almost every time I can rule out suicide. He said, you know, in suicide, in cases of suicide, you almost always have some indications of that financial troubles. Sometimes there's a note, he says, uh, conversations with loved ones. And he said, so after a while, and he's been doing this, I think six or seven years, maybe this is in his second term. He'd be running for his third term. So I think the terms are four years. So maybe he's in his seventh year of this. He said, you understand, you get to know what the rhythm of it is. And you're talking to this family. So he said, almost always these fentanyl deaths are not, they are not suicide. And then he writes on the, um, he writes on the death certificate that it is a murder. This has been a murder because it's a third degree murder in uh in um Pennsylvania there's a charge there for murder when you have drug delivery re- resulting in death drug delivery resulting in death and he writes on this and he writes on the death certificate that these people are are killed because of the drug delivery and the fentanyl in it and he said to me once ed if someone was driving around my county and was feeding antifreeze to dogs and killed, just say killed a hundred dogs, he said, we would be prosecuting that person for the cruelty. We would be prosecuting that person for their, their aberrant behavior, their abhorrent behavior. That's a better word. Not aberrant, abhorrent. It is aberrant too, but abhorrent. He said, we would be going crazy. We, and he said, and I'd be leading the parade of going crazy over this. It would be cruel. It would be inhuman. It would be terrible. And it would be something we would prosecute if they were doing it, if they were doing it to dogs. He said they're doing it to humans. And when he writes on that, that on the autopsy that it is a murder, murder by drug delivery resulting in death is the term, he, ex- he hopes, prays, expects, and so far doesn't get the prosecutor of his county to go after these people. The prosecutor of the county does not go after people. He refuses to prosecute. Do you understand what I'm saying? You talk about a preference 
that is absolutely positively against public interest, you don't have to go to Soros. You don't have to go to a, an inner city Soros prosecutor to find a preference. And by the way, it is true in this county, the prosecutor is a Democrat. But you don't have to go far. You don't have to go into inner city Philadelphia, inner city St. Louis, inner city New York City, Manhattan, to find a Soros-funded prosecutor, or maybe say it differently, a prosecutor engaged in behavior that is pro-Soros, which is to say left-leaning. Just go to one of these counties. And I have no evidence, no knowledge, I don't think there is any chance, that there is a Soros influence in this rural county. I don't think so. But it's a bad situation. Why wouldn't the prosecutor go after? Why couldn't what, let me say it differently. Why, why shouldn't the prosecutor go after the person who delivers the drugs that kill these hundred people in this rural county like dogs and then go up the chain and go up the chain of, of interest, go up from the, pro, the guy who deals the drugs in the county to the guy who brings the drugs to Pennsylvania to the guy that brings it across the border? Why can't we get a prosecutor who would treat our people like we would treat protect the dogs. Why can't we get a prosecutor who will protect our people and prosecute the bad guys like we know they would do to protect our dogs? I have to tell you, I watched uh, a documentary on Michael Vick and who went to jail for, I think, about a year for his role. And I think it was pit bulls and other dogs in some sort of dog fighting ring. And I think there was gambling involved and all. But, you know, they chased down every aspect of that and prosecuted it to the hilt because it was so horrendous. And while I don't disagree that it is horrendous and it deserves to be against the law, I'm not sure sending people to federal prison for that is quite what we need. But I'm not even going back to debate that. I will say this. Michael Vick displayed a maturity in this uh, in this documentary when he was interviewed in the last couple of uh um, I think it was the last year or so that they did put this together. It was one of those ESPN 30 for 30s. And I thought Michael Vick displayed quite a um, quite a lot of insight about himself and about growing up and changing and being a better guy and all that. But we went to a lot of trouble to make sure to make sure that we tracked down the, the people who dis- mistreated the dogs. Michael Vick was one of them. There was others that was, I think, got into legal trouble. But in Pennsylvania, you can deal fentanyl and kill people, kill people like dogs in Pennsylvania. And the law that exists on the books, drug delivery resulting in death, should be used, should be used to go after the bad guys. And it's not. And my friend, the coroner, my friend, the coroner said, so ruefully, I said, is it, has the prosecutor done any? He said, it won't do any of them. And he said, the guy's running, he's running for another job. He's running for another job, moving on up, as they say. And he won't, he won't prosecute people for killing our Americans, killing our people, driving our people into the grave because of fentanyl. What you need to know is, I know we can see everything. I mean, we, we wouldn't have been able to know what was happening in a rural county in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania in the, in the era where the internet wasn't available and it wasn't so easy to track things down and everybody wasn't communicating. I understand that. That doesn't make it, it wouldn't have been better, by the way. It'd probably be worse. But we also know concretely where the fentanyl comes from, China. We know how it gets here through the southern border. And we know it kills, and we're not doing anything about it. Shame on us. 
in this country for tolerating it. What you need to know is we shouldn't. We shouldn't tolerate it. Not any, not one minute longer. You shouldn't tolerate the lawlessness of these Soros-elected folks that are destroying places like St. Louis. I think there was one in San Francisco. They recalled them. L, uh, New York's got a problem. But we ought, neither should we let these prosecutors in rural parts of the country not enforce these laws. We should be up in arms. We should treat our humans like we t- would treat our dogs. All right, that's what you need to know. We'll take a break. We come back. We will... Uh, uh, visit. I've got a great uh, guest today. Uh, my friend Floyd Brown has got a new book. You'll be really interested in this. Uh, we'll talk to him right after this break. He's a super guy. Right back. Right back. Ed Martin, Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check up, check in with my old friend Floyd Brown. Floyd Brown, this is going to get me in trouble with him, but I'll do it anyway. Floyd Brown, he's been around a while, and what, by that I mean he's been writing and publishing and, uh, and understanding politics. He's been in politics. He's been in policy. He's been in the sort of faith movement for decades now. And so his perspective is really unique. And what most people don't know, Floyd, and I do, of course, is that he's also been on the forefront of figuring out how to utilize digital uh, resources, media, as well as other aspects of communication in a way to make uh, conservatives communicate well. So welcome back, Floyd Brown. First of all, how are you? I'm doing great. And it's great to be with you. You know, uh, I like to say that I earned every one of the gray hairs I have. So uh, I don't I don't I don't I don't mind being the old guy, but um, it's given me a perspective. And this is actually what I talk about in my book, Counterpunch, is that I have been through four wave elections. Hmm. I came to Washington, D.C. as a young man in my 20s and worked in the Reagan revolution. Right. And and we thought we were going to change America systemically right. and change government. And I remember um, I had a mentor at the time. His name was Stan Evans, who. Yeah, I, famous I, Stan I think Evans. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. I think, I love I think yep. you think, you know, he was yeah. a great author. Yep. And he said to me, he said to me, this is probably 1987 as the Reagan administration is winding down. He said, you know, Floyd, when we came to Washington, we knew this place was a cesspool. Mm-hmm. But now, but now that we've been here a couple of years, <laughs> I think it really is a hot tub. <laughs> it, and, it, it, and it takes that perspective to understand Washington. So, you know, I was I was involved in all these different wave elections, you know, immediately after the Reagan revolution. A few years later came uh, the contract for America and Newt Gingrich was elected speaker in 1994. It was a massive massive wave election. And then we had the Tea Party, which started in 2009, but led to that wave election in 2010, and uh, where where so many new people came to town, and right. we were going to change America systemically. And then, of course, you can't, you can't uh, leave out uh, 2016, the America First uh, wave election, where you had uh, Donald Trump come to office and we had both the Senate and the House. And uh, people have asked me, you know, why didn't we change America in any of those wave elections? And I really think it's because of the way that 
conservatives approach politics. Hmm. We always wanted somebody to ride in on a white horse, whether it was Ronald Reagan or Newt Gingrich or Donald Trump, and reform everything from the top. And the left works polar opposite. They take every local job that they can find. They're on the school board. They're on the town council. They're the justice of the peace. They are the county councilman. They're the county auditor. They're they're working because they worship government. Uh, literally, being on in one of these lower jobs is 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 like you know the, their worship. Right. And so, in essence, we didn't do that. You know, people were shocked when they found out that there was all these LGBTQ activists that were running school boards you know we have one here in phoenix where i live washington school district where the woman running the district you know identifies as a cat you know she wears little kitty ears and people said you know these lgbtq activists they don't even have kids why are they running school boards well it's because we didn't show up and in this washington school district where this woman runs the school district, there are multiple megachurches. Why weren't those megachurches running candidates for school board? It was their kids that were living under this. And, it, and, and it's because a lot of those pastors were saying, you know, politics is dirty. We do the sacred. You know, we're involved in, in, on Sunday and in church and, and really, you know, poli- leave politics to somebody else. And that's the problem that we've had we've got to get to have our people involved in every single level and we have to fight to take this country back literally block by block street by street neighborhood by neighborhood town by town and then we go county by county and soon it's state by state that's how we take back america we're talking with uh, Floyd Brown. Let me do a couple things. Uh, Floyd, floydbrown.com, if you want to go and find out uh, more about his website and what he's talking about now. His book is called Counterpunch, uh, and it is uh, out. It's not actually, it's not quite out. It's already popped to the top of some of the pre ordered best, fe- uh, best seller lists because, uh, as we were just talking off the air, he's been out talking to people about it. And, but anywhere you find books, you can go order it. Now, um, I do want to mention, I was, you beat me all, all the way through it because I was going to tell you the last Brown book I read, and, and, Floyd Brown himself has been an author of many other books, but was the one by your wife because I was out in Arizona and now I got two things I want to plug. One is her book is called The Faith of Ronald Reagan by Mary Beth Brown. It's really good, really interesting. But here's the other thing you both can uh, take credit for. Most people came to the Reagan revolution and they never left. I mean, they stayed in Washington. They're all in the they're all in the salons of power. That's one of the secrets uh, to your point is that they stayed. And you you are out. Uh, you're you're back out in the country and in, in God's country out in Arizona now. But back to the book, Floyd. You're always an upbeat guy. You are an upbeat guy. But when I read this book, you see the darkness. And while you're upbeat about the future, I mean, you know, even in the you know, you're referring to the, the violence, the darkness. That I mean, you're referring to. We're, we're in a tough spot. I mean, people need to understand that some of the fundamentals may be fine. You, your family may be pretty good. Your, the economy may be okay for you. This country's in a tough spot, right? Well, we are. And part of it has been these false narratives that have been foisted on us. And I do go through, you know, all of these false narratives, uh, whether, um, you know, the, uh, 
there was a lot of them around COVID. There was a lot of them around, um, you know, there's false narratives, I believe, currently about the war in Ukraine. But they go way back uh, to things like we're going to go into Iraq to get weapons of mass destruction, which was a completely false narrative. There weren't weapons of mass destruction. So government uses these false narratives usually to grow the size and scope of government because the bigger they are, the more power they have over your life and the less power you have over your life because they're taking it from you. And so the, 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 the founders understood this dichotomy they you know they lived inside of a huge empire that was run by the king of england which was he was almost emperor of the world at the time that they left and uh, he was a complete despot was full-blown tyranny and 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 so the there's this constant tension between the freedom of the individual and in essence global governance and really where they want to take us is to a full-blown global governance where we have virtually no power and we're just cogs in a gigantic machine, almost like slaves. And so it it, it is a dark time and, and there's a lot of dark things that are happening. But I'm also very optimistic because I believe we are at a tipping point And that tipping point is going to get the number of people involved that need to get involved. So part of the plan that the 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 left or the elite state or whatever you want to call them use is they like to create tribalism. They want us all warring. They want us, you know, black against white, uh, Protestant against Catholic, um, you know, They set up all of these straw men so that we're all warring when America's based on unity. I mean, unity is so important to this country. The founders put it in the name, the United States of America. And we have a lot we share. We share a whole lot more than we are divided about. But, you know, the elites get power by having us fight one another. And so it takes a whole change of mindset in order to to get us working together to protect first our neighborhoods, then our towns, and and then and and build this thing back. We have all the tools. The founders gave us those tools in the Constitution. Those are very powerful tools in the Bill of Rights in particular. And if we use them, we can take America back. But we don't run it right now. Uh, Counterpunch is the name of the book by Floyd G. Brown. It's published by Frontline, imprint of Charisma uh, Media. Also, anywhere you buy books, you can get it. Um, uh, Floyd, uh, you, you, I want to get to the, I want to get to my, uh, the, the always with, uh, the late Phyllis Schlafly. She'd say, you write the book, describe everything that's going on. And then, you know, she said, you got to then say what to do. So I'm going to get to the what to the do in a minute, but I want to go back for one second. You describe, and again, you're somebody who has been around, some of the key you mentioned, uh, wave elections, but also the movements in the country. You know, you think of the, the Reagan revolution and then, uh, you mentioned, uh, Gingrich and, and the Republicans sweeping in, but you were around for Obama and uh, what Obama did. Bill Clinton was a phenomenon. You know, I, I remember you had a key role and you were, I think you were executive director at a certain point of the Reagan ranch, the historic space out in California. That's unbelievable. I got a chance to visit a few years ago. Um, all these kinds of things that you've seen. You at the beginning of the book, and why I set that up was 
you're not exactly um, jaded, but you're not easily impressed, I think. And at the beginning of the book, you refer to the fact that you and your wife went to some of these um, rallies early on in the COVID period, and you were just bowled over by it. And again, you're not, again, you're not a jaded guy, but you're not a, you're not a wallflower. You were really knocked to your knees quite uh, almost literally. Yeah. So tell us about yeah. So I literally start the book at, at, at one of these meetings. And yeah. if you traveled back then, it was so surreal because you'd walk through the airport and it was like this eerie silence that you didn't really expect in an airport and you'd climb on an airplane and the airplane, you know, might have 10 people on it. And if it was a really heavy flight, it would have 20 people on it. And and everybody was living in fear. And so it was, uh, you know, I got invited to this meeting in Tulsa and our mutual friend, uh, General Flynn, invited me. And uh, Clay Clark, who's worked on these tours, invited me. And I, I like to joke, I, I say, you guys invited all the least compliant people in America <laughs> to this meeting in Tulsa. <laughs> and, right. And so <laughs> we show up at this meeting and the the world is kind of just really almost bizarre around us. But when we got inside the hall, there were 5,000 people. There wasn't a mask to be seen. And even more interesting than that was this unbelievable unity broke out. It was people from every walk of life, every racial group, every religious background. and But we were all there with one goal in mind, and that was to get our lives back, to get our lives to normal. And we started hugging. We started, you know, reconnecting with our humanity. And it was a very powerful movement. And part of why I wrote the book is, is you know, I've kind of stayed on this on this uh these rallies they i think they've held 18 now i think i spoke at 10 or 12 of them it it's uh it's been a pretty amazing run but at every single one of these people would say to me what can i do what can i do what can i do so i wrote the book to answer what you can do and you know there's there's um there's a verse in the book of uh um zechariah which is uh, don't despise the day of small things. Hmm. And really what it's saying is don't, you know, don't despise small little actions. You know, not all of us can be Donald Trump. Not all of us can be a U.S. senator. Not all of us can be a congressman. But we can do something right where we're at. And 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 God wants us to do that. We just have to have courage. We have to step forward. We have to be willing to get out of our box and it's going to take all of us coming together like that in unity to really rebuild the country. Again, we're talking with uh, with Floyd Brown. His book is called Counterpunch. Uh, Floyd, remind me when it's out. Uh, actually, um... it's out. It's out April fourth. Okay. Pre pre orders are really important. My publisher tells me that bookstores often decide whether or not they're going to carry a book based on the pre-orders. Right, right. So Good. that's why I've been out talking to people. You know, if you pre-order it at Amazon, you'll get it, you know, in a couple of weeks. But it will really be helpful to making sure this book gets in a lot of hands. And and that's, you know, that's why, why I wrote it. I wrote it for people. I also wrote it in such a way that you don't have to be a conservative to to 
consume it. I, I tried to make the arguments accessible to anyone with even a little bit of an open mind. So if you have a, a friend or a relative that, you know, you're not sure where they're at or you want to wake them up, this book can help be a tool to do that. Uh, you know, you mentioned Phyllis earlier, and, and yep. she was so wonderful at this. A Choice, Not an Echo was one of the books I read early on and had a big impact on me. And, 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 and I was thinking about books like that when I wrote this book. Uh, Floyd um, Brown is our guest, uh, the author. Floyd, uh, again, you're the author the, the author uh, of the book. It'll be, be out, but you can order it anywhere. It's called Counterpunch. Um, again, you're an optimist. You, you're sort of a happy warrior. Um, it's partly, I think, comes out of your faith, but also just people have different temperaments, and you're just a happy warrior. Um, but you're also a, a astute observer. So I know the answer is going to be you are optimistic, but um, but it's it's daunting in a way. I mean, you were there for the Tea Party. You were there, again. I talk about all these the Reagan Revolution. All um, do we have what it takes to step up? Are you yes. seeing the kinds I, of leaders? I think it's going to be yes. I think it's going to be different this time, and that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to to speak to Christians. There's a a Bible verse, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Hmm. And all of these other movements were man-made movements. And I believe this movement is going to be different because we are going to make something that our founders did an appeal to heaven. Hmm. So it's, it's both you know, we're going to organize like we did in those other four, but we're also going to make an appeal to heaven because these are huge issues. They're spiritual issues. There has to be a revival and reform of America to really get back to where we need to be. And it will only be done by Christians being activated, getting off the sidelines, you know, putting to bed this whole notion that there's a separation between church and state, which isn't true. It's a that's another false narrative that's been foisted upon us. Christians have every right to be as active in politics as anyone else. And they need to to claim that mantle and go out and be a part of the solution. Well, I, I'm I'm uh, glad that you have uh, got this out when you did, uh, Floyd. We were talking offline about how a lot of times people look up in a in say 2024 and they say, "Oh wow, what's going on here?" Well, a lot of the hard work's got to happen in uh, in the in the period long before any election cycle, and uh, and so I think this is well time. Counterpunch is the book. Floyd G. Brown is the author. Frontline is the publisher. Available anywhere you find books, and especially uh, you can go and. Uh, Visit his website, floydbrown.com. Thank you very much, Floyd. We'll talk again soon. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Well, bye now. We'll, uh, we'll take a break, everybody. And I'll put up on social media and make sure you see uh, links to his website as well as to the book. Uh, it's uh, it, extraordinary. In, and we mentioned uh, those events uh, that have been going on, about 12 or 15 of them. Amazing energy around them. And uh, folks are really um, powerfully moved uh, uh, by those uh, sort of faith and freedom events that he mentioned. So, okay, we will take a break and we come back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the pro America report on the answer. San Diego. 
This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Those harmed by inadequate schools are a voting block that Republicans can and must reach in order to win future elections. Georgia and Arizona are two swing states that Republicans must win in 2024 to recapture the White House, and both of the states rank among the 10 states having the most illiteracy. When people cannot read, then they cannot access and process independent political information needed to fill out ballots in an informed way. The higher the illiteracy, the more ballots that are filled out as part of a ballot harvesting and massive drop box dump and the more difficult it is to win on principle. Meanwhile, even a liberal Republican governor has apparently gotten the message that the public is fed up with liberal ideology in school, rather than instruction on basic skills. Last year, Utah's Governor Spencer Cox vetoed a bill that would have prohibited male-bodied athletes from competing in girls' sports, as did the liberal Republican governor in Indiana. In both states, the Republican legislatures promptly overrode those vetoes that pandered to the left. Likewise, the Republican Arkansas legislature overrode the veto by its anti-Trump Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson of a bill prohibiting transgender medical interventions on children. Then the Republican legislature in Utah passed another bill, this time to prohibit transgender medical interventions on children. And its left-leaning Republican Governor Cox was smart enough this time to sign it into law. Lessons learned with more political ground. As illiteracy climbs in the United States, this new focus by Republicans on learning is a political necessity. Many traditional Democrat voters have children in underperforming schools, and they're not learning to read as they should. If the Democrats think that being the party of mutilating school children with transgender surgeries will win them the most votes, they can feel free to cast their lot with the LGBT crowd. Republicans can and should be the party of promoting core subject learning for school children and reading above all else. That is what American parents want for their children, and that is what they will vote for. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms in colleges and schools across the country. If you're a parent, teacher, or administrator who really cares about our children, we promise to keep you informed at phyllisschlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me give you an update on last week. Last week, I was in Florida, Florida, and uh, the Pro-America Report was live from down there a couple days, but I did miss a couple shows because I was traveling uh, for my anniversary. It was my 20th wedding anniversary. We had a great time, my wife and I. Uh, But I want to tell you about my visit to Florida. I went down with frequent guests. She's been on this program quite a bit. My friend, Cynthia Hughes. Cynthia Hughes and I were guests at Mar-a-Lago, uh, to guests of Donald J. Trump. And on Tuesday, I didn't talk much about it beforehand. On Tuesday, I guess it was the, what, the 21st of March, we had a, uh, I don't know, two-on-one uh, meeting with him. It was himself, uh, Donald Trump, myself, and Cynthia Hughes. Actually, her husband uh, also sat in, but he uh, he kind of sat in the, to the side. And the three of us talked about January 6th. 
And the president was as engaged on almost every aspect of it. When he didn't know something, he asked about it. It was a great freewheeling conversation, about 45 minutes. Towards the end of it, he realized that some of the families of people who were in prison, so some of the prisoners' families were in Florida, and he said, hey, why don't you bring them over here for dinner? And so the next night, on Wednesday night, they all went to dinner. I actually was out of town already, so I missed the dinner. President Trump hosted about, I don't know, 21 or two people for dinner at Mar-a-Lago. Family members, one guy who was already convicted of January 6th stuff. It was very special. But here's what you need to know and what was so important. The president is fully engaged in what's going on. He is fully engaged, and you saw it over the weekend at the Waco event. Um, he, he talked about January 6th a lot. He talked about January 6th a lot. He understands how terrible the treatment has been. He, you know, he is aware uh, of how bad it is. And so he is really um, uh, interested in the aspects of what's going on. He had a bunch of questions about the legal battles. He was clued into the, uh, the trials that have gone on. There is an appeal, as I've told you, of one aspect of the entire charging, the structure of charging cases. There's an appeal going on. He, he was clued in on that. It's the Miller case. He asked about that. It was, it was extraordinary. It was really quite extraordinary to have him, uh, to understand, to recognize that he was so attuned to it. Now, two things. One, um, I think he knows that there's a, that it was wrong. But two, he listened and heard what I have been saying for a long time, which is that Congress could take away jurisdiction from the DC district court, the federal court. It's within the jurisdiction of Congress to take away the preference, the, uh, the control. The uh, jurisdiction, that's the right word, uh, of the uh, federal, in other words, the federal district courts, all of the federal courts are a creation of the Congress, and they can change the jurisdiction. And my point on this was, you talk about due process denied. The due process denied that may be the worst is the problem of the jury pool being so, the jury, the jurors being so swayed by the uh, ongoing select committee for about 18 months. In other words, you had the Congressional Select Committee, which dominated the airwaves, which spent ten, had tens of millions of dollars in uh, what we call earned media, in basically free media that influences people. And Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson, the chairman, they, they clearly were biased. And so they ran a bias, like a propaganda effort on the people of the District of Columbia who are supposed to be on the jury. You're supposed to get a jury of your peers but what if your peers are absolutely inundated and dominated and brainwashed by bad faith actors? Well, it doesn't work very well. It doesn't work very well at all. It makes it almost impossible to get a... And so that's what people feel. And that in talking to President Trump about that, in describing that, because he was clued into the fact that there, were, um, there still are tens of thousands of hours of video that have not been released... You know, I, I'm not saying for sure that I'm 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 not joining the chorus that's frustrated with uh, Kevin McCarthy yet because I don't know if it's a timing thing. I don't know if they're waiting to let uh, Tucker Carlson continue whatever research he's doing. I don't know why it's not out. If it doesn't come out in the next few weeks, then I think we do have a problem. Uh, but right now, I'm I'm reserving judgment on whether it's um whether it's a uh, uh, wrong. But anyway, back to Trump. President Trump uh, was clued in on that. And my, my sense was he recognized that you cannot get a fair trial 
in Washington, D.C. because the jury pool has been so corrupted. And that was a political decision. That's not even just a news decision. You know, I don't think that the news can anymore be, I don't think you can call the news a political anymore. I don't think you can call the news above the politics anymore at all. They've shown themselves to be such partisan political players. But in this case, the combination, the narrative machine, as I so often tell you, big government, the select committee from Congress and big media and big tech jammed the narrative on the country that there was an insurrection and all that stuff. And, but it's, and that was, that is bad enough. But what's even worse is the fact that you can't, the, the District of Columbia, the jury pool has just been absolutely corrupted, poisoned. It's not even their fault. It's just that they've been inundated. They've been dominated by the by the big government narrative. Big government plus big media plus big tech. Absolutely dominant. So it was a very interesting meeting. I'll tell you more about it over the coming weeks. President Trump was fully engaged lots of ways. Really, really interesting. Um, and uh, I will, some of it, only a few things are off limits. I'll share everything that I can that is appropriate. All right, we better run. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our great producer, uh, Ryan Height for associate producing, and for all of you for tuning in. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.